Welcome to the 2020 Horror Show, presented by COVID-19 and made possible in part by the Trump administration and other generous donors like you, our non-mask-wearing citizens. If this year feels like you've been trapped inside a sci-fi movie, you're not alone. We're all waiting for those end credits to roll, because nothing is normal. This pandemic has brought out the worst and best in some of us, and to be honest, I think it's time for a little bit more empathy. But in order to have empathy, we have to understand and relate to each other's pain and each other's struggles. In the first part of this episode, you will hear from my guest, Kristen Urquiza, who lost her father to COVID-19 this past summer. She came on Diferente to talk about how this pandemic is affecting the Latino community and how she is using her pain to help others. And in the second part of the episode, you'll hear from some of my friends and family members who have contributed their personal reflections on this pandemic and how it's changed their lives and their perspectives. So let's get to it. This episode is presented by Social Mosaic Communications, a branding boutique founded on the idea of embracing your diferente. Go to socialmosaic.us to start creating with purpose. You're listening to Diferente. Estás escuchando Diferente, the bilingual podcast where we celebrate and explore the complexities of living life between two or more cultures. I'm your host, Maribel Quesada-Smith, a producer and creative consultant from Mexico City, living in the U.S., who loves hip-hop and cumbia. I created Diferente to learn, laugh, and grow alongside you with stories and interviews that relate to the bicultural experience. Let's get started. Kristen, thank you so much for joining me on Diferente. I, like I said before we started this interview, I, I have no words and it's really hard for me to express my sorrow for you and, and my empathy in words because I can only imagine what you're going through, but I'm so thankful that you made time to be here and to share your story with us. Thank you. I'm excited to be here and I appreciate you're reaching out to connect with me uh, to learn more about my story and my dad's story. Absolutely. So let's start with you a little bit. Tell me a little bit about who you are. Who's Kristen Urquiza? I am, you know, I grew up in Phoenix. I now live in California. Um, and I am a person who cares really deeply about um, my Latino culture and, and background but I'm also a lover of nature um, and the environment. Um, I recently graduated from Berkeley with a master's in public policy. So I also care very much about creating a world that has rules um, that really helps create a platform for all of us to have that American dream, that American opportunity. You know, I'm curious about what you just said. You said the American dream. What do you think that means nowadays? Because I feel like it's totally changed, right? Yeah. It's evolved from what it used to be for our parents. I, I, it has. Um, you know, I grew up being taught that the American dream was if you worked hard and you went to school, you would be able to buy a house. But what I think we've learned over the course of our lifetimes is that that dream doesn't exist for people like us. You know, I have worked really hard my entire life. I went to really good schools. I graduated the top of my class and still, um, and by deciding to work in nonprofits, you know, I definitely am still struggling to make ends meet uh, month to month. And if I'm having trouble doing that, I think that the American dream, we are 
unfortunately seeing as more like an American nightmare these days. Fantasy. It's the American yeah. fantasy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the not, word farce came to anymore. mind, but fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like something you would read about in a book or see in a movie, but you just scratch below the surface and people are struggling and we've been struggling for a really long time. And I think the thing that we forget is that it doesn't have to be this way. And it, and it used to be that just hard work. The belief was that if you just work hard enough, you will get that money, you will create wealth, you will be able to move up. And that was the belief. And it really used to be that way, I think. For a lot of immigrants, to be honest, I think that's the case. A lot of people do believe that coming here and working hard is all it takes. And for some of them, yes, that, that does help. And it does help them and it does change their lives. But unfortunately, it's just not about that anymore. We're now facing many different factors that are holding people back. But anyway, <laughs> I don't want to get too far away from, from the other story that you know, we're here to tell. And that is the story of your father and what happened to him during this awful pandemic that we're living through. Can you tell us what happened to your dad? So my dad tragically uh, passed away from COVID-19 on June 30th, and he lived in Arizona, born and raised there. His father was from Mexico, um, and he got caught up in uh, this pandemic in the most awful way um, because he was following the advice of the Trump administration and the Ducey administration in, in, in Arizona that in mid-May, late May, was saying, we're on the other side of the pandemic. It's safe to be out there if you do not have an underlying health condition. You know, it's time to get back into the economy and resume normal activities. And, you know, my dad followed the advice of the people in charge, which is what we're supposed to do during times of crisis in particular. And for that, he ended up paying with his life. Um, he woke up a couple of weeks after that. He had a fever, a cough. Um, I immediately suspected it to be COVID given his symptoms. And, you know, there began a two and a half week journey in the hospital that he never ended up leaving alive. Did he go back to work or what, how, where did he contract COVID? Do you know? I mean, it's so hard to tell, but. I'm it's hard curious. to tell. Yeah, he had been an essential worker, um, but his uh, company had furloughed him and a bunch of folks at the end of April because of the economic recession. So for May, he was basically just staying at home. He was, you know, the person in charge of grocery shopping and some of the other errands around the house. But um, after the shelter in place order lifted in Arizona, my dad started to meet back up with friends. Um, I know he, he was a huge karaoke um, singer. He loved karaoke. And, you know, I was having conversations with my dad saying, dad, it's not safe to be out there. Um, I think we really need to rethink like what activities you shouldn't, shouldn't be doing. And his response to me was, Kristen, I hear you, but why would the governor be saying it's safe? If you don't have an underlying health condition, if it's not. I feel like a lot of people do have that mentality. And I, I have to say, that's something that I've pay, I've, I have faced being here in Arizona as a new person living in Arizona. I've noticed that that is the mentality for a lot of people. It's this, leave me alone. I know how to, 
and I know how to take care of my business. I can handle my own. Don't tell me what to do type of Mm -hmm. mentality. (laughs) And I had conversations with people when they first lifted the shelter at home back in May. I said, you know what? I'm not going to restaurants. I was telling a friend, like, I'm not going to be going to restaurants. I'm not going to bars. No, forget it. Plus I was pregnant. So I (laughs) wasn't going to any bars. But people would tell me that they'd be like, well, I think that's reasonable, but you should make that decision on your own. It shouldn't be the government telling you. To me, this was my response. The problem is a lot of people rely on the government to make their decisions. Or here's a second issue. You cannot trust people to be reasonable all the time. Some people will go out there with symptoms. Some people will be out there way too close to each other, not adhering to social distancing, not wearing a mask. So if you don't have clear mandates, How are people supposed to act? And they'll just use the excuse that the government, that the governor said it's okay. And that's exactly what happened in May here. Cause I'm Mm -hmm. here. I know what you're Mm -hmm. talking about. Mm -hmm. People felt like it was okay, even though nothing had changed. You're absolutely right. Um, Mandates are the only way to ensure that people, mandates that are enforced (laughs) are the only way to make sure that people have the incentive structure in place to do the right thing. People don't wear safety belts because they, you know, decided all of a sudden one day it was better to wear a safety (laughs) belt. No, you get a ticket if you are caught not wearing your safety belt. It's the same thing too with smoking in restaurants. We knew for a long time that smoking and secondhand smoke caused impact on people. And it wasn't until there were laws passed protecting workers and their right to work in a safe environment that we convinced people to stop smoking in restaurants. Wearing a mask, for example, is the same exact thing or other public health measures. And the thing that gets at my heart is that we have allowed, like as a society, to politicize simple science-based public safety measures. And that is why Arizona rocked the charts with the most amount of cases in the world during that time. And I'm worried for the state now as that reopens and is sending folks back to school. Like, what are we going to see in the coming weeks? Man, that just, you know, it just makes me really sad for society because like you said, it has become a political issue and it really is a human issue. It's a health issue. It's not a political issue. But let's, <laughs> let's keep moving because I want to hear about what you decided to do after your dad passed away. What did you do? When my father passed, I just couldn't believe that the people in charge would be making the type of life and death situations that were causing all these preventable deaths and that there was such a human or personified aspect missing from all of these numbers that we were hearing of additional cases that were on the rise. And so in creating the ofrenda outside of the state capitol, in Arizona, it was an opportunity to bring pictures of loved ones who had been lost and really call on the governor of the state to do his job in protecting the public health of folks in Arizona. Um, I saw that you invited him. Yeah, I invited him both to my father's funeral, um, as well as to the ofrenda. He didn't um, respond, nor did he show up to either. but yeah, it's like he, I, I doubt that Governor Ducey has seen what a COVID funeral looks like. 
are you saying you didn't even get like the polite response with his stamp signature of like, hey, thanks yeah. for the letter? <laughs> no, I didn't even get that. Are you serious? I'm serious. Wow. And, you know, it's like, I, you know, I see, oh, don't even get me started on seeing him at, in Washington, D.C. last week at Trump's inaugurate or not inauguration, his uh, RNC event. And he, he wasn't even wearing a mask. Like this man does not, not surprised. care about folks in the air, in Arizona or else he's like, do as I say, not as I do, right. which <laughs> right. is not a good way to lead. But, um, you know, my sort of my thinking was this man needs to see what it's like to lose a loved one from COVID. He needs to see that people are standing six feet apart. Like I couldn't, I'm not in the same household as my mom. Like I couldn't even hug my mother at my own father's funeral. I'm an only child. Like just resonate with that for a second. And I'm just one of tens of thousands of people who are experiencing this. Yeah. Well, the fact that you probably couldn't even see him in the hospital, like people are dying by themselves without exactly. their family members. I, I just, I have no words, man. Like, I don't. I don't know. Yeah. And that is so, you know, that is so important in, when it comes to people fighting to their lives, like knowing that there are people that are there alongside of them and every single people, my dad person, my dad included, doesn't get that right now. You do not get to see them. You do not get to be by their side. It is the most agonizing experience that I've ever been through in my life. And because I also knew my dad was terrified. My dad wanted to live and he was all alone during his darkest hours. And nobody deserves that. My father doesn't deserve that. Neither does the 180,000 people who have died so far from COVID deserve that. I know. So the ofrenda was, um, basically a display because for so, for those people who don't know what an ofrenda is it was a this you made a display of photos and was it like a candlelight visual yeah. as well or yeah what? we had a candlelight vigil um display of photos uh flowers and kind of other little mementos but it was a very beautiful uh showing of both the media and um you know other families for those folks listening i want to point out that the timeline is interesting because your dad passed, I think it was uh, June 30th. June 30th, yeah. June 30th. And the governor put us back into basically like, not a shelter at home, but he he enforced the masks, I think, June 26th. Yes. So so he was, your dad was already in the hospital by the time the governor decided that we needed to all wear masks. <laughs> and so we started seeing those mask up Arizona signs everywhere. It took way too long for the administration to respond. I mean, people were already partying. They were at bars. They were everywhere. I wasn't going anywhere, but other people were. And I knew that this was going to happen. We all did. Yep. And evidence has shown since like late April, early May, the efficacy of mask wearing. Right. So it's been, you know, the, the verdict is out. Um, Again, because it was politicized. Exactly. Your mask was suddenly, you know, it suddenly meant that you were a socialist liberal. <laughs> right. Versus like, I care about your health. So I'm going to wear a mask so that in case I'm sick, I don't get you sick. Correct. Um, and just like, when did, when did love thy neighbor suddenly fall off the, like, the face of the planet? Like, this is what this is about. What blows my mind is when did love thy neighbor become a liberal thing rather than a conservative thing that comes straight from the Bible? 
Right, exactly. Exactly. If you're a Christian, you should love thy neighbor and loving thy neighbor neighbor means respecting them. Respecting them. By wearing a mask and protecting them. Exactly, (laughs) exactly. So tell me about the organization that you created after your father passed. So the other thing that I did um, was launch an organization with my partner called Marked by COVID. And uh, my dad's name was Mark. So the name has a little bit of a nod to him. I saw that. I noticed that. Thanks. Um, But I also wanted it to be a place where people could come and share their stories, even if their stories didn't include loss. Um, And so what I mean by that is that we have been impacted or marked by COVID as a society and individually in so many profound ways. So yes, I have experienced one of the most ultimate losses of losing my dad, but also the survivors of COVID, we don't know the long-term health impacts of what it's going to to be or need to be able to make sure those folks can get the care that they deserve. And then the economic and business impacts and small businesses closing. closing. The depression that's happening, you know, a lot of people are are going into depression from isolation. People are also losing their lives because they are not able to attend their AA meetings or their addiction groups, support groups. They can't meet, they can't have that personal attention that they need. And even though they do it over Zoom or different methods, it's It's not not the same. same. It's It's not not the same same kind of support. not the same kind of reliability. And I know firsthand, unfortunately, a friend lost her boyfriend to that. Um, that uh, really sad situation where young man who didn't even have COVID, but because he was isolated, um, you know, he, he overdosed. And, uh, you know, I don't even want to hear what people have to say about that, what I just said, because I'm sure all kinds of people will, will be like, well, have he shouldn't have, he, he should have done this, he shouldn't. whatever. The point is that the system failed him. He didn't have the support that he needed. And ultimately, yes, it's a personal responsibility, you know, when it comes to your body and what you do to your body. But at the end of the road, addiction is a horrible thing and it's a disease and people need support. And even those people are not getting the support they need. So, yes, there are so many unintended, I I would say unintended consequences of COVID. Yeah, these are secondary impacts that we are not quite quantifying yet, but they run the gamut. And so Mark by COVID is really creating a platform for people to come forward who have been impacted by COVID, share, share their story, and we are working to elevate those stories through the media and through other channels to hold elected officials accountable for their leadership failure and, and putting our lives on the line uh, for their mismanagement of the COVID-19 crisis. Well, and also acknowledged, right? So we yep. already know that the black and brown community have suffered the most out of COVID-19. Do you know, just because I love numbers, do you have any idea of what the numbers are in the Hispanic community, for example, of people affected by COVID? I mean, I, I, what I do know is that Latinos are three times more likely to contract COVID than white folks and are twice as likely to die. I do know um, there's actually been some recent um, research coming out of UCSF that has studied this exact question. Why are Latinos disproportionately contracting COVID? And there's two uh, main indicators. One is that our folks uh, 
tend to work in jobs where they have to go to work every single day. And so they're have an elevated risk factor there. And then two, um, tend to live in intergenerational families. And so if somebody is bringing in the COVID from their grocery clerk job, it's then unfortunately being transferred to grandma as well as, you know, maybe an aunt or uncle that are in the house as well. Thank you for explaining that because I think that that's the part that people don't understand. They they think that it's a personal choice for a lot of people. And right. you and I were blessed to be able to do a lot of what we do from home. Yes. But a lot of people, and I would venture to say that a significant part of the population doesn't get to decide that. They don't get to do that. Nowadays, it seems like everyone with a camera and a microphone is a, quote, content creator. Don't get me wrong, I love that the internet has allowed so many people to test their creativity, but when it comes to your brand making an impact, wouldn't you rather partner with a seasoned media expert? Because your brand is more than a business, it's a story. So let me help you tell that story. I'm a producer and creative consultant who understands that your online presence should be working for your brand, not against your bottom line. If you're ready to create online video and audio content in English or in Espanol that builds trust and turns your audience into loyal customers, go to maribelqs.com forward slash ready and let me know. I mean, part of what has infuriated me so much about this response is that there's this Um, like the governor himself said, you know, all we need Arizonans to do is to quote unquote Netflix and chill. Oh well, my God. Some people can't even afford Netflix. One and two, that's a privilege to be right. able to stay home and watch Netflix. Like in my family, if you don't go to work, you don't get paid. And right. if you don't get paid, you can't pay your rent or your kids don't get books or, you know, whatever the, the expenses like many of our folks in our community, because they're mostly immigrant and because of the system that has kept um, us, you know, in a different class, you know, we need to make sure that we are, are paying the bills and without things like sick pay, for example, guaranteed sick pay, it's really hard for folks to not go to work. And I think that we need to, as a society, not just acknowledge that, but make that right. Everybody should have the option to have sick time. Well, the state of Arizona, I believe, only mandates, what, 40 hours a year of sick pay, I think. Oh, my gosh. I think something like that. Um, and it's not enough, obviously, for someone who has a family member sick with COVID that's going to take 30 days to, to get better. But, you know, <laughs> that's a conversation for another day. Real quick, I want to ask you about uh, your speech at the Democratic National Convention. I think that you speaking out really gave voice to a lot of people, especially in our community, especially in the, in the Hispanic and the Latinx community. What made me really sad was to see the response of some people, especially looking through the comments on your Instagram post. <laughs> I wanted to just, I wanted to both cry and scream and yell and do everything <laughs> at the same time. Because I was like, are you freaking kidding? I wanted to like yeah. sit there and respond to every oh. single troll. You yeah. know, those war keyboard warriors, they call them. But yes. I've, I've learned long, long ago that that shit just doesn't serve anybody. Yeah. But I saw some that were just heartless. I mean, they were telling you that basically they were blaming your dad for his death. You know, they were mm -hmm. like, he, sh he shouldn't have gone out. He had the choice. Why would you blame the president? 
here's the thing. Number one, did we lose humanity to the level where we're going to tell somebody who just lost their loved one that it was their loved one's fault? Right. Is that is that where we are as people? That we I can't that's even where take we a are. moment to say, I am so sorry for your loss and this sucks and just keep it moving and have the political conversation another time. Are we really there? I mean, it just, this is the part that breaks my heart. Like, this is not the time to say that. Not ever. It's never okay to say that to somebody, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, it's hard. Like, I think that it's both important for us individually and as people who care about other people um, to not turn a blind eye that there is a subsection of society that is completely warped right now. And, you know, I, to be honest with you, I care so much about human life that I feel for those people as well. Like for example, whenever President Trump had his rally in Yuma a couple of weeks ago, and there was like nobody wearing masks, I was like, statistically speaking, people from that rally are going to die because of this. And that's just not okay from, from any perspective. No one deserves to die from this, this terrible disease. And unfortunately it does bring out some folks who just, man, if their mothers knew what they were saying would be ashamed. (laughs) It is a shame and it is shameful to see what some of these people are writing and commenting Thank you so much for being a light in our community and for also sticking up for those people who don't have a voice. Thank you for continuing this fight, for continuing to share the stories of so many people marked by COVID. Please tell us where people can find your organization and support you. Yes. Um, The website is markedbycovid.com. Um, sign up for our newsletter um, that'll keep you up to date on activities that are going on. We're also on Twitter. Facebook and Instagram and everything is at marked by COVID. Huge thanks to Kristen for being a guest on Diferente. And now for the second part of this episode. I know that we've all been trying to connect even on a deeper level right now because we don't have that face-to-face interaction. So I feel like in some ways we have become closer. And so I really wanted to capture the reflections, the thoughts, the intricacies that have been going on in our own homes during this time, which is why I asked my friends and family members to take some time and reflect. And I asked them to answer four main questions. So you're going to hear from some of my friends and family members answering these questions. And just so you know, because Diferente Season 2 is all about exploring the multicultural experience, some of these answers will be in Spanish. Just to give you a little bit of a taste of what season two will be like, where we will have more episodes in both English, but also in Espanol. We are truly turning Diferente into a bilingual podcast, and I am so excited to share that with you all. Pero regresando al tema, so getting back on topic, the first question that I've been really battling with and wondering about is, what's next for us as a society? And here's what some of you had to say. We're at a tipping point. Uh, There's just so much hate and divisiveness out there, and we need healing. Uh, And that should be what's next for society. Uh, We need to heal. I hope that next is for us as a society to recognize the value of hopefully putting markets second to human interest. 
For me, I honestly don't know, but it will be different. Our rights as seniors will be different. The Trump administration says more people have to die in order for the economy to get better, and it means the senior population. I would say continued division, uh, mainly because of the series of disinformation and alternative quote-unquote facts that are continuing to go through our society, so I don't see it getting better. I see that division continuing. It's clear from some of these messages that many of us have different outlooks, and some of them are more negative than others, but it really depends on the personal experience. Of course, some of the older generations are gonna be more concerned about health and safety, because this has had such a devastating effect on the senior population. But also when I listened to Ronnie talk about, in that last soundbite, talk about the continued division in our society, I have to empathize because we see that every day and I know it's all around us. And not to mention the economy and the effects that this has had on a lot of businesses, especially small businesses. But I find it really interesting that both in Mexico and in the US, people have the same concerns. In the next soundbite, my cousin Maria talks about the devastating effects that the virus has had on the economy in Mexico, which is not that different from what we are seeing here in the States. Ahorita la situación en México, pues, Mucha gente se quedó sin trabajo, muchas empresas quebraron, entonces la situación no es nada buena aquí. I'm hoping that this does not happen, but I do think that besides the obvious, our economy is going to completely crash down and we're really going to have to assess as a society uh, the way that we work and the way that we look at our economy and the way that we handle healthcare. At the time of recording this episode, nearly 60 million Americans had already filed for unemployment since mid-March, according to the U.S. Department of Labor. And although it seems like the numbers have slowed down in some instances, there is still a lot of concern about the state of the economy. Across the pond in Europe, my cousin Carla, who lives in Belgium, shares that their perspective is, this is going to take a while. O sea, aquí en Europa, eh, hay mucha duda en cuanto a una recuperación segura. Yo creo que tomará bastante tiempo para que volvamos a tener una, una sociedad eh, como la de antes, si es que la volvemos a tener. So we've heard a lot about the political and economical effects of the pandemic. But what about the cultural shift? I think we're going to change pretty dramatically culturally as far as um, how we interact with one another and how we interact in public. You know, there's people out there that are husbands. I'm one of them. Um, some people might be a little more, you know, standoffish when it comes to that. There's already, you know, people who are germaphobes and there are already people who, you know, aren't, you know, very touchy-feely. They'd rather not have the hugs or the things of that nature. So that'll definitely uh, change some things in our society. I think we'll actually be closer as a society after this. I can already see this in my parents uh, and my family becoming closer. I think this crisis is forcing us to reevaluate what it means to be human. This has really been a time for us to be grateful for the little things, and it just has been something that I feel that's really going to touch us, and that is going to transfer to next generations. The part that really got me in the last few sound bites was my friend Justin talking about hugging. Are we ever going to hug each other again outside of our homes? When I heard him say that, that really shook me. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of a hugger too. I can't remember the last time I shook hands with a stranger, and I certainly can't remember the last time I hugged a friend. Even though a lot of us are down, even though a lot of us are stressed, 
and not sure about the future. There's still a lot of positivity out there that shows that we are hoping that this will change us at the core as a society. And it really should, because if it doesn't, then something's really wrong. Something's wrong with our human experience if this doesn't have a profound effect on the way we look at life and what we value. So that led me to another question. What are we doing to stay sane? What are we doing to hold on to what we value and deem important? Some of us have even had to change our routines and the way we live and work to stay sane. In terms of how I'm staying mentally sane, um, I've always worked through lunch. I've always just eaten lunch at my desk and kept charging through. Um, so it's, it's a pretty big change for me to take that time. Having the weekly webinars and meetups to just be able to stay sane mentally and really just be able to identify our feelings with each other. My brother does Zoom poker nights where I'm playing poker with him and some other of my friends, some of his friends that I wouldn't have even known. Taking a shower every day is very important, even though you don't have to. Making the bed. Para mí, la universidad hace lo que me gusta. Me ha ayudado pues a seguir adelante y ver la luz al final del túnel. He tratado también de meterme a cursos, de hacer manualidades y pues estar al aire libre ayuda mucho. Correr, este, ver el sol, asolearse un ratito. It's not even like you know, morning and night, it's like a wake time and a sleep time and everything just is blending into one. But I think for me, a sense of routine and creating sort of marked moments in my day has helped me. It is said that we stop growing when we stop learning. I don't know who said that, but I've heard it said a lot. <laughs> and it's true. So what have we learned from this pandemic? Some of us have learned to be more compassionate. I am trying to practice something that I call compassionate curiosity. I'm having compassion even for the people who are showing up at the state houses with guns because ultimately we're all just afraid. I'm having compassion, but I'm also having curiosity and the two have to go together. Curiosity isn't attached to an outcome. Curiosity is just asking questions. Will this work? Maybe I'll try this. Well, that's interesting. Curiosity is paying attention. Some of you have had to learn to be teachers, and I honestly hope that as a society, we have finally realized how valuable education is and how undervalued teachers are. Just realizing as a mom that this is a lot to be thrust into being a teacher and being like with your child and trying to work. And it might seem ridiculous, but I think a lot of people have learned how to properly wash their hands. Best thing folks can do is the same thing as you should be doing, right? Washing your hands, you know, 20 seconds is, you know, it's definitely worth keeping uh, yourself healthy and others. By the way, one thing that I find really interesting is that at the beginning of the pandemic, people were complaining about not being able to find hand soap. But I would go to the store and see a bunch of bar soap. No one wants the bar soap. What is it about bar soap? It cleans just as well. The CDC has said it. You don't need liquid soap and you don't need antibacterial soap in order to properly clean your hands. You can actually do it with regular bar soap. I grew up on bar soap. I remember how it used to be a luxury for us to buy liquid soap. My parents used to think it was so wasteful. <laughs> so I just think that's such an interesting societal change and shift and maybe even a cultural difference. We've also learned the difference between needs and wants. Uh, we don't always need all the things we think we need. 
we can really survive on a lot less if we have our health and our well-being and our sanity. So maybe we don't need three TVs in every room and 20 pairs of Jordans. And here's one of the most valuable lessons that I hope we have all learned as a society. No nation state can handle such economic disparities. You can't have billionaires and not have health care for your people. Now, I don't know if we've learned that, all of us, but that's certainly my takeaway. And it's easy to say, ugh, people suck. And some people do, but I've heard a lot more stories of kindness and love and generosity. Uh, and there's more good in this world than bad. I hate to say this, but I have to agree with James in the last soundbite. Some people really do suck. <laughs> That's all I have for you this week. Thanks for listening to Diferente. If you enjoyed this episode, let me know on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Maribel underscore QS. And if you haven't already, show me some love by clicking those five stars in the reviews. Until next time, remember to be curious and courageous in your growth journey. Hasta pronto. Thank you.